We'll be reading this morning from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 9 through 17. However, before we do so, let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you are saying to us today. Amen. In the book of Esther. Haltak went and told Esther that Mordecai had said, Then Esther spoke to Halakai and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come to the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the, for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice as God's people and be glad in it. Second reading added to that great text from Esther. Each of the Gospels in their own way tell the inauguration, the debut of Jesus in his ministry. Luke has a particularly interesting one, and that'll be our focus for today. I'm going to go a verse beyond the, the screen. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? This is the word of the Lord. A few years back now, the drug company Johnson & Johnson took Tylenol off the shelves for a while as it was being under investigation. But what many people didn't know was that Johnson & Johnson had a mission statement. And part of that mission statement read, employees operate with integrity. So as this drama was unfolding, the CEO asked his people if they were abiding by their mission statement. And they said yes. Knowing that it would cost them millions, they removed it off the shelves. And when asked by the reporters why he had done that, he said, integrity is company policy. I wonder how many other businesses and organizations ought to put that in. Adopt that vision statement for the way they do business. A lot of organizations now have mission statements, these short, pithy slogans about their purpose and who they are. Have you ever written your own mission statement? It would be a good exercise. I commend it to you. I've done it a few times myself. Um, it's really not the words that matter in the end. It's living them out. Written or unwritten, we are all on a mission from God. It's what moves us off dead center. It's what drives us to get involved and to stay involved. It's what God wants to do through you, and maybe only through you. That will require some thought on your part. But here's my point. Finding our mission is essential to a life well lived. Many people, I'm afraid, confuse making a living and making a life. We make a living by what we get and through hard work. We make a life by what we give, by fulfilling our purpose. If you're not doing something with your life, it doesn't matter how long you live. If you are doing something with your life, it doesn't matter how long you live. You'll have to think about that. You know, we can live a few days without food and water, but we will not live very long or very well without a sense of direction and purpose. The problem I see in people, the one I feel inside in myself, is so easy to mistake God's call, what God wants for us, and what we want. There's a little gray area of confusion there. One of my favorite sayings that I keep in one of my drawers is, any road can take you nowhere. I hate to think of how many roads I have taken going the wrong way. Or you, without that sense of direction, we are doomed to a life of wandering and constant detours. I believe the Bible has a couple of mission statements. They aren't called that. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die is, to, is gain. Did you realize Jesus had a mission statement? 
and it gets unveiled today in a most unlikely way. Here he is, his debut, going back to his hometown. You remember when politicians, sometimes when they were running for office, would go back to announce their campaigns on the doors of the courthouse, even if they hadn't lived there in years? Well, Jesus has something big to announce. He wasn't running for office, but something far greater. The kingdom of God was at hand. This would be his statement about who he was. Let me set the scene. It's Sabbath. This is his hometown. The grapevine has been working real hard. Church is packed that day. (laughs) Come see the local boy made good. They're all sitting there. Let me read the room. You can picture people smiling, can't you? You know, one woman leans over to a friend. Doesn't Mary look proud? Others in the back who didn't see him grow up. Isn't that Mary and Joseph's boy? Look at him now. You see, every town in that era and time had a synagogue. There was only one temple, but every town had a synagogue, but they didn't have clergy. They were, it was all lay leaders. And so when a distinguished rabbi was present, he would be asked and invited to read the scriptures. So they called Jesus up front. They all smiled. They hung on his every word, at least for a while. We didn't get to that part of the text. And the scripture he reads is quite telling, don't you think? The attendant hands him the scroll, but somehow it opens to this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointing me to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, free the oppressed, declare the year of the Lord's favor. Line by line, he read Isaiah's words like they'd never been read before. This was his mission statement. This was who he was. And in every word he said and every deed he did, he fulfilled these ancient words. They came alive in his presence. In fact, he was quite bold to say it. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I don't think they'd ever had somebody stand up there with all the gall to say, today, this has come true. Uh, That wouldn't be wise. This hometown hero, what would he say? Was he really, could he be really the Messiah? They'd have to change the town sign from welcome to Nazareth to home of Jesus the Nazareth. He'd put this one stoplight town on the map. 1962, clear Booth Luce, one of the first women ever to serve in Congress, offered these words of advice to John F. Kennedy. A great man is one sentence. One sentence. It makes me want to talk a lot less. Imagine having that kind of focus, really. Life has defining moments, you see. We either act on these moments or they slip, us, they slip by. My friends, I've concluded that the only thing harder than following Jesus is not following him, not having anyone worthy to serve. Any road can take you nowhere, but going nowhere was not where Jesus was going. 
He had a mission to complete. He had people to bless. He had lives to touch. He shared his vision. This is the shocking, beautiful part of this story. He tells people ahead of time what he's going to do, what his life will mean. And they admired him. It all went well till he went from preaching to meddling. I've done it. <laughs> he uses a couple of unfortunate sermon illustrations of God loving Gentiles through the prophet Elijah and Elijah of when God did that. And they stiffened, they got his message, and they didn't like it. The part of the text I left unread is they threatened to throw him off the edge of a cliff. I'm hoping you won't do that. But the amazing thing is that Jesus didn't cater to an audience or pander to them. Not in Nazareth, not anywhere. And his mission statement wasn't just a bunch of cliches. Everything Isaiah had predicted, predicted would be fulfilled in him. Every single beautiful deed and word come alive. Many people tried to steer Jesus off course. I mean, it was, he could see many targets flying, like flapping like flags in the wind. People trying to say, he, he could do this, he could do that. He could have been a political revolutionary. Or he could be a national leader. He could be a rabbi who just educated minds. He, he, he could do this, he could do that. He did what he came to do. He refused to be anything less than what he was, the, the Messiah himself. And so when they couldn't redirect his life, they took it. He targeted his life as we must to fulfill his destiny. This was who he was. One sentence. And I believe he keeps it that simple with us. We, he leaves humanity with one choice and one choice only. Take him or leave him. He will not be the one we want him to be. Will we let him be who he truly is with us? He was intense that way. This same man who could enjoy life, he was a man on fire. He never let anything deter him or shift his attention. His passions weren't random. He was like a locomotive pointed in a certain direction. The only problem is the direction he was headed went straight to a cross. And he never backed down. He never let up. Where is your life headed? Not having an answer is not an acceptable answer. Here's the good news. There has never been anyone like you and there never will be again. All that makes you wonderful and strange and odd is God's gift to you. And so you owe it to yourself to be yourself or the world loses and you lose. Christianity, you see, isn't pie in the sky. It is feet on the ground going God's way. What we do says more about our faith than what we think or what we say. You want to know a great day in any Christian's life is when we stop talking about faith and we start walking by it. It was Shakespeare who said, there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads to fortune, 
omitted all the voyage of their lives is bound in shallows and misery. We must take the current when it serves or we lose our ventures. There was this deep tide flowing through Jesus, this passion, and it drove him the way gas powers an engine. And it led him as it should lead us to be brave and holy at the same time. He crossed lines other people didn't cross. He challenged ideas and rules that were needed to be updated. He loved unlovable people. He kept speaking and he kept loving when others told him to shut up and back down. And his love led him all the way to the cross where he knew he was going anyway. How do we find passion like that? It isn't just by doing what we love the best. Sometimes we must feed our discontent. And so I must ask you, what troubles you? Or do you even get troubled anymore? I'm not asking you what annoys you. I'm asking you what disturbs you deeply. Maybe you have an emptiness inside. Maybe you sense something is missing. Don't write this off as, as, as mere boredom. What if God is saying to you, I am making you restless with life as it is so that you may glimpse life as I intended it until you become concerned about what concerns me and what concerns God. Maybe you ought to spend an afternoon thinking about that. My friends, we all want to be taken seriously. We all long for something true that demands our loyalty. And here is what I'm saying to you today. Requiring our loyalty is the highest form of flattery, and Jesus is expecting it. We either invest our lives in something, or we will throw them away on anything. My friend I lost. It's a pastor, and he... He shared a story with me about this woman who came to him. She wanted to start a new business, and she was a little confused. And she said, I pray that God will open all the doors that are in keeping with his will and close the doors that aren't. But my trouble is, if God closes the doors I shouldn't take and opens the doors I should take, will I ever mature? And he is wiser than I. And he said, no, you won't mature. And God won't do anything for you. He expects you to do. You can write that one down. To do what God expects, we, must need, we need his help. Natural talent is not enough. God will not call us to do things we could do without him. Not every road can take you to where God wants you to be. There are a lot of detours you should and could avoid. But we cannot live life without a sense of direction. And my fear is that many people miss their God-given callings with an imposter mission. Sometimes we miss our callings not because we don't know what God wants. We dislike what he wants. This brings me to Esther, this gutsy woman, one of the Jews living in exile, wins a beauty test contrived by a king trying to impress his friends and then informed by her cousin of this plot to kill all the Jews. He challenged Esther not to sit idle, but to rise up, 
and to accept her God-given call to, to save her people. What does she do? <laughs> Just that. Facing this crisis, she rose to the occasion. She risked her life to save others. You see, we either define who we are or we let circumstances and other people define who we are. Every time we say yes to God, the world changes a little bit. And every time we say no to God, we change a little bit. Let us pray. Gracious and most loving God, may we know when to say yes and to no to you. May we have a sense of discernment for what you want to do in our lives. And may we have the courage to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.